Jack. How you doing, Jack? I'm good, man. How are you? Doing great. Been thinking a little bit lately, and I wanted to discuss a hand with you that I played a few weeks back when I was actually in Berlin, Germany, playing at the Potsdamer Platz Casino, apparently the best place to play poker in the country, according to some of the regs. All right. Let's hear about it. So the structure here is they had a 2-2 and a 2-4 euro game. The They had about six tables of 2-2 euro and one table of 2-4, but the 2-4 was uncapped, and it looked like easily four or five professionals with over 2,000 behind and two or three kind of rotating not-so-good players with small stacks. So I thought that it would probably be a lot better for me to play the 2-2 euro and a lot less stressful as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and especially given that this is kind of the only place to really play play poker legally in Berlin, you know, that has more than like a few tables, I'm guessing that at least some of those people were probably, you know, better players than, than myself. So even if it was profitable, it would be a lot less fun. And I was, I was there pretty much on vacation. So uh, I opted for the 2-2. Yeah, we're talking about euros too. I don't know what the exchange rate is today, but it's it's not as small of a game as a one-two in America. Yeah, as far as absolute wealth. Yeah. So, all right. So, I kind of had a table that I'm guessing was kind of very common during the poker boom in the United States, <laughs> in terms of the quality of play and the like social atmosphere of the game. It was one of the best times I've had playing poker in a while. A lot of really friendly, awesome people at the table. And, of course, a lot of very, very poor play. Uh, Sounds perfect. Yeah, so I'm about four hours into the session playing fairly tight, probably around 20% of hands, but playing a lot of them very aggressively, pretty much just raising very big in position and raising very big with value hands because people were playing very loose and very passive pre-flop. So this is actually kind of an interesting spot I get into with aces. We have a loose aggressive player under the gun. We're playing uh, eight-handed now. And he has about 400 behind. Uh, And he's been... He's dumped at least 1,000... Tonight he obviously has some poker competency, but kind of just when he decides to win a hand, he wins it, or he he, he tries to win it. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> he has not been winning the he hands. Has conviction. <laughs> yes, he'll kind of just go for a three barrel bluff in a spot that is just you know just very very clear that the other person is never going to fold. He's he kind of did that several times. Weird bet sizings probably plays around sixty or seventy percent of hands plays the most of his hands for a limp and raises his better hands and kind of reveals the strength of his hand with his sizing. So he makes it eight under the gun. So I think he has kind of, you know, a more top of the range hand for his massive range, but uh, not a particularly premium hand. You know, smaller pocket mm-hmm. pairs, suited connectors, bigger suited one gappers, I think is what his range looks like there. Then we have an older German guy, Looks like he's been playing pretty straightforward, kind of like what you would expect of an average older recreational American player, but maybe just a little bit tighter and a middle, little more apt to limp fold as opposed to limp call. He overcalls the eight. Then we have a player with about 100 left. He bought in for 500 an hour ago and has never played poker before. 
and seems either v- very drunk or just kind of very weird. It's unclear. <laughs> I thought he was very drunk at first, but by the end I thought he was... It was just unclear to me what his vibe was. Okay. So he calls, and I'm on the button with aces. So what what sizing are we going for here? Well, we're... I think that this isn't a pot where, based on the opponents you described, we need to be hugely concerned about isolating. So I think we should just size for what we can get the most value between the three of them. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so I would say probably something like 35 to 40. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I, I ended up making it 42, uh, just because I think the loose aggressive player... Uh, he really doesn't like to fold preflop, and he has called with even worse odds before when it's clear the other players had a premium. So mm-hmm. I think uh, also once he calls, he makes it the a lot. Effect. Yeah. So I, I think honestly, in retrospect, I could have gotten away with more. Uh, but I but I made it forty two, and those three players ended up calling. But actually, beforehand we had a, a cold caller out of the small blind. This is going to be the main villain in the hand. She has about 500 behind, and uh, I have everyone covered, by the way, at this point. Uh, so she has 500 behind and has played a fairly straightforward game, fairly loose passive, but a little bit tighter than everyone else, which isn't saying much. Probably entering preflop maybe around 35 40% of the time. Uh, and, you know, limp folding if it's not a good price, limp calling if it's a good price or almost a good price, and has basically made a lot of money just slow playing her, like, nutted hands. And if I recall, I think she's had quads twice and other hand flopped a straight on, on a board without a draw. So she's she's pretty much had the stones uh, in all three of the pots where she's gotten into showdown. So she has somewhat of, like, a godlike image, even though she's not playing particularly aggressively. Yeah. Just this thing of like, oh my god, if she's in a pot, she just has it every time. You know, that kind of aura that comes off when a player is running that hot. Yeah. Okay. So, when she calls there, I definitely think her range is very strong. You know, I have not seen her cold call a 3-bet even of smaller size, of a smaller size. And the hand she had in those other ones were like, you know, she had like pocket nines, pocket jacks, and then she flopped like the, you know, Broadway, the nuts straight. So she, she definitely, ha- you know, plays good good uh, starting hands. And I think when she cold calls here, she has pretty much the top of her range there. And I think she might even be a player that could conceivably call there with kings, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, she actually, I'm now remembering another hand. Early on in the session, I had pocket kings. I raised it to like 25 after two limpers. She called, flop is like queen 5-3, I bet she calls, and I shove the turn, and uh, the turn was a 2, and she thinks for about 20 seconds and calls with 3 queens. (laughs) Okay. And she tells the rest of the table, like, yeah, I was a little scared of the straight, but with these cards you can't fold. In a way that seemed like she was legitimately thinking about it. I don't think she would have ever folded, but the fact that she didn't snap call, I think, kind of shows a little bit about her style of play. <laughs> yeah. No, that's quite revealing. Yeah. Okay. 
So, so she calls there. Everyone else calls. And two things specific to this kind of Berlin casino. It actually closes at 3 a.m. They came around and, and kind of mentioned that 20 minutes before. We're playing at about 2.20 a.m. I'm about four hours into a session. And, you know, so there's there's you know, no more than 40 minutes left of play, which I think definitely factors into it. It's a Saturday night. People mm-hmm. are, you know, they're wanting, they're wanting some action. It's the end of the night. Yeah. Right. Okay. And the rake is also unusually high. It's only 5%, but it's capped at 20 euro. And they take the, the money out of the pot after. Okay. Uh, that kind of sucks, but... Yeah. Is, is is what it is. The game was definitely soft enough to be beatable. Probably not beatable for a really large number over a large sample, but is what it is. I was playing as much for the social experience as for, you know, pure EV that night. So we we see a flop, and we have 210 in the middle. I'm in, you know, ultimate position on the button. And the flop is queen 6-8 with a 6 and 8 of spades. So it, it pretty quickly checks around to me. I think this is a pretty uncontroversial bet. Uh, you know, I want to get value from potential spade draws, from queens, maybe straight draws from that very loose, aggressive player. The question is just how much to bet. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, with a, the woman on your left, uh, cold calls a three bet uh, in, you know, from the small blind. I'm not seeing many queens worse than ace queen agreed uh, maybe some king queen but it's almost it would be a little surprising probably no king queen offsuit would be my guess she definitely could have some jacks and tens but i it's going to be tough to size you know in a way where we're getting the value we should from a queen and to get you know a calls from her jacks and tens i think if if you think she could have kings and you know, that's definitely, like, a strong value target for us. I think from the three players, the three original callers, are, we're likely to see weaker queens. Based on your description of the Razor, I think we, we're targeting everything from ace-queen, king-queen and queen-jack. And, and from the two later players, definitely from the old man, ace-queen, probably some king-queen and queen-jack suited. Uh, and then the player who doesn't, know how to play you know we could probably we could really see any queen but we don't really need to think too much about that player's range just because it's so unpredictable and i think we can just sort of assume that aces are going to be pretty well ahead of everything that he's going to sort of spaz out and call with yeah and he only has 100 left after right so he's sort of yeah i i I don't think i'm ever betting less than 100 here so we don't have to worry about him and the loose aggressive player has been playing so aggressively and been just aggressive in weird, bad spots, picked just really bad bluffing spots that, you know, I'm definitely willing to get in another $300 with him on this flop with my hand. Yeah. I would probably bet on the larger side, probably like 170 I think because of you've been playing pretty strongly uh, and you're on the button, I think you could probably get away with a larger bet size, and I think that you would. You're really looking good against pretty much everybody's calling range, mm-hmm. uh, so I think we want to call, and we might as well squeeze out some serious value. Yeah, so 
I'm probably thinking a little bit of a smaller size. So with this bet, I'm you know trying to accomplish mainly two things: value targeting queens, you know the occasional pocket kings from the woman to my left, and spade draws. So I think if I bet a sizing that big, it's unlikely for me to get called by you know a random spade draw that the that the woman or the old man has. Where I think for a sizing closer to half pot, I'd likely to get called. I'm like a lot more likely to get called by, you know, nut, second nut, third nut, spade draws. And I think from the player that hasn't played before or from the loose aggressive player, uh, they might even be capable of folding if I bet closer to pot with kind of any of their random spade draws. And I think they could both have, you know, a hand like 9-10 suited of spades or something. Which is actually mm-hmm. a combo draw too, but... And Im- important here is that I, I don't have the ace of spades. So that, you know, they, yeah. they have all those those draws in their hands, so... I, I also think that uh, the old man, like, could conceivably have a queen-jack suited there after it was call-call, even though he has normally been playing very tight. So I think 170, like 180, that's going to probably scare that hand away, where a bet closer to 100 is going to keep it in more. So I ended up betting 120, thinking that was kind of a good way to keep most of the worst spade draws in, keep you know, the queens of all the players in somehow, but still get some, some nice value and against all the player stacks, you know, be able to get in stacks on the turn, even with the woman, you know, with 500 uh, behind. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I like that bet actually better than my bet. I think maybe something like 135 might be even better because I think that your position, your age, and the way you've been playing will probably make people more likely to call down with a queen uh, than maybe you think. But I, I am thinking 170 is mm-hmm. too big. Uh, I think especially for the yeah the older man's range, I think we're going to be missing value with my sizing. Cool. So the, the woman to the left, tank calls, and then everyone else quickly folds. And we can't really read much into the tanking because she did that on the hands where she had the nuts too. So she pretty much Whoa. just calls. Mm. And now the turn pairs the queen. So we have about 440 in the pot. She has approximately 330 behind now. And she donks out 80 into me, 80 into 440 when the, when the queen pairs. Yeah, that's weird. But I, I don't think it's hard. I think you just call. It's I don't I don't think it looks too weak to call. I mean because if if you had a hand like Ace Queen, you might raise for value, but you you could very easily just call as well. So I think she does this often enough with a, a spade draw, or even a hand like Jacks or Tens that she decided to. Look at for one street, and then saw the queen as a good bluffing opportunity. It, it's hard to, you know, put someone who has made some of the statements she said, you know, earlier about the queens as someone who would see this as a good opportunity to turn your hand to a. But I could see that happening sort of subconsciously, and like the queen coming and her holding Jackson being like, uh, I think I should put out a small bet." You know, and not understanding fully why, but it being some sort of blocking bet slash turning her hand to a bluff that's almost accidental. 
Yeah, I really like that. I, I, I think given the pot odds we have here, a fold is completely out of the question. Uh, mm-hmm. And those are the kind of two scenarios that I was I was thinking of that she could be doing with a worse hand. I in the moment I definitely thought that I'm I'm definitely probably beat more often than I'm not there. Yeah, I think so too. But getting getting those odds, I think it's a clear call. And then, you know, the question for me there is just, you know, it would there be any value in, you know, shoving to try to get you know value from spade draws or to protect my equity or to get value from tens or jacks. And no, I, I think the only reason that to, to shove there is if you think that she'll fold some of her Queens and I don't think she will. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I thought about it for, I think a good deal of time, probably a minute and a half, just, uh, Less on what I was going to do, I was pretty set on calling, but more just trying to make sense of what her range was when she does that bet, because I've never seen her donk in a heads-up or multi-way pot in the approximately three hours I've been playing with her. So it was a little confusing. But yeah, I think I think like you initially thought, it's it's a pretty clear call. I think when I shove and she calls, I'm mainly behind, and I think that she actually will fold all of her non-nut spade draws there if I shove. And maybe even her nut spades. So I, there's, yeah, there's not a lot of value, and she's definitely folding any random tens or jacks if I shove. So I don't think there's a lot of value in value shoving, and I'm never bluffing her off a queen. So I up to call. So we have about six hundred in the pot now, and she has two fifty behind, and mm-hmm. the river is an offsuit king. And she takes about 45 seconds and checks. Uh, yeah, I would probably just check back. Yeah. Um, I, I think that... Well, I, I think there's definitely the possibility that she's just giving up with some draws. Uh, Which I'm not getting any value from. Yeah. And I, I think that... This could, it could also be she was said some sort of draw with a king... Uh, which is sort of honestly sort of the same hand. Uh, you, it's it's a hand that you maybe could get a hundred dollars of value from here, uh, if she, you know, river to king. But it doesn't seem worth betting to target that. Yeah, because you know, you, you know you don't want to make a small bet here, and then have to bet fold or bet call. Each of those seems like pretty bad options. Yeah. It. It kind of feels like a really cautious ace queen. I I don't know. I mean, if she is holding, if you're holding ace queen in her shoes, if you got, you know, teleported there after playing the way that she has played, I don't know. I don't know if I'm betting ace queen against your range there. I mean, and it's also she's played really passively so far. So she yeah. donked she donked the turn. So, but like, I still think she definitely has ace queen in her range there. Like. You know, she had it in her range pre-flop, she had it on the flop, and maybe she decided to weirdly donk, but then she's like, okay, I'm going to donk and then I'm going to trap him. Like, she's probably not doing that close to a majority of the time, but I think ace-queen she could 100% have here. It's just kind of unclear what percent of the time she's going to be doing it with that. And then, like you said, I think just given the absolute dollar amount, even though it's less than a half pot bet, a shove is not good to target, you know, like a some type of draw with a king. 
because I think she just doesn't really call there. And then the option of betting really small, like, you know, one-fifth, one-sixth pot and getting shoved on is terrible. Yeah, that's really, really gross. And I, th- and I think she, and she's played Trappy before. So I have to check back. And she had King Jack of Spades. So I think this kind of shows, like, even a player that has played really tight and has always had the stones, you know, you just have to be conscious of, like, the fact that, like, when it gets later in a casino, people are going to loosen up, even players that might normally play really tight. Like, I think she never plays this hand this way in her first hour or two of play. But she's on vacation. It's a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. She's had a drink or two. Casino's closing soon. I've been playing very aggressive. You know, there's a lot of factors that come into this. And I, I think I definitely, which I I think is a leak in my game, I have the tendency to, like if I've only seen players play relatively straightforward and tight and show on good starting hands, I think I tend to think that they're going to do that way too close to 100% of the time than what most players are because most players are human and most people play for recreation, you know, and folding a lot isn't a lot of fun, especially uh, later in the night. And when you've been running so hot, you're like, okay, I wouldn't normally call here, but you know, I've hit Jin three, I've hit Jin four times, so might as well try again. (laughs) I have a good Broadway hand. Yeah. I mean, the pre-flop is definitely loose. The, the flop decision I think is more trivial. Uh, yeah. And then, but it really, the turn and river play really show why you have to, you have to fear aggressiveness from a recreational player who's shown passive behavior. Because if, if she's not going to put the pressure on you with this hand, does she ever have a bluffing range on the river? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it would, well, you know, the river, sorry, mm-hmm. the river is that the river is different because she rivered the king but if she didn't hit Uh, the king yeah yeah well she didn't hit the king then it's hard to say so you can't really we can't really speak to her river action because of the card so that's my mistake but the fact that she bet out 80 on the turn she really made it easy on you she did i mean if she you know the pot is 440 and she had 350 left or 330 left or something like if she shoves the turn i think it's a pretty trivial fold with the information i had yeah I agree. Um, but yeah, I think I think definitely the river card and giving her the pair made this hand interesting, but I also think regardless of the river action, so it's a really interesting spot on the turn. Um, and I think in the moment after I saw her hand, I thought I missed some value. Uh, but I think in retrospect, talking through the hand with you and given how she played kind of trappy in the past... I think it's it's a pretty clear check back and a check back I should feel pretty good about. Mm-hmm. I think bet folding is probably wrong, but it is sort of like fun to to think about. But I, yeah, it's easy to say here, but it's so hard. You know, imagine if you were in that spot, you have a six hundred euro pot, you bet a hundred, and she has another hundred fifty on top, and now you have to, you know, call hundred fifty to win a what like a. 1200 yeah. 1200 euro pot <laughs> and you think you're never good there you know terrible spot to be in yeah it's too gross and given the fact that it's late and you know she's loosening up i think you have to call there because of the pot odds and yeah it's just it's a bad spot yeah so yeah i like the check back 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think you played the hand pretty much perfectly. Uh, but it was interesting. It's sort of an unusual sequence of events. Yeah. And honestly, I, I, I was almost really sure I missed a value but before we talked through this hand. So I'm glad uh, I absolved myself <laughs> of that. I think I definitely tend to... You know, most people don't go for value enough or don't go for thin enough value enough. I actually think that, you know, I'm a little bit over the ideal on the, like, you know, the ideal frequencies of, of when to value bet and how thinly to value bet on the side of value betting too much and a little bit too thin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, sounds, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Well, thanks, man. Good restraint here. Yeah, um, and for all the listeners out there that enjoy uh, the podcast and have been enjoying the content we've been posting on the blog on our website, JustHandsPoker.com, I have recently started a series uh, dealing with kind of standard pre-flop hand ranges to have for your average 1-2-1-3 live game. And right now I have a post up with my under-the-gun open limping range and under-the-gun opening range, and soon to come will be what I'm doing in middle position, late position, and in the blinds. So I encourage you to check out the website and the blog and let me know what you think, join the conversation, and stay tuned for that uh, next blog post on uh, what a good hand range is pre-flop. And remember to send us your hands... Uh, if anything interesting happens and you want us to take a look at it, uh, we'll potentially talk about it on the show and at the very least send you our thoughts. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And keep on tuning in every Tuesday. Uh, thanks again. We'll talk to you next week.